Shea Reflects, a podcast documenting my journey of learning and most importantly, unlearning in this experience called life. I'm your host, Shalina, and I also go by Shay, and I'm hailing from Ontario, Canada, with roots in Jamaica, West Africa, and India. Welcome! I start off each episode with a segment called Behind the Title, where I briefly explain the content theme and introduce any special guests that I may have. So this is episode 9, and it is named after a song called Now I Know by a rapper named Andy Minio. And for the past couple of years, um, this song has reflected so much of my journey of unlearning. And in the song, he reflects on things that he once believed to be true from childhood to adult um, that are actually lies and deception and I really connect with that theme of deception um, in this song. So I chose this song because the theme for this episode is all about unlearning that everyone who speaks Spanish is Spanish and learning that Africans were also enslaved by the Spanish. Um, Just recently, I learned that the black people in countries such as the Dominican Republic, Cuba, um, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Colombia, and Mexico are actually descendants of the people that were brought um, from Africa via the transatlantic slave trade. And I wasn't even aware of this black presence and history in these countries. Um, So my special guest for today is Zenia, and she will be sharing her knowledge of her country, El Salvador's history, relating to colonization, and her experience of recently identifying as Afro-Latina. If this is a topic that seems interesting to you, then sit back, relax, as you step into our thoughts, worldviews, and experiences. My name is Fenya. My preferred pronouns are she, her, they, and them. Um, I guess professionally, I am a social worker. Uh, For many years, um, I've had experience within the VW sector, so the violence against women sector. Um, 
I have also had a bit of experience within the immigration and refugee sector, and most recently the mental health and addiction sector. Um, a lot of the lessons I've learned within these roles, it's not only a consistent reflection of your day-to-day experiences with any case, but your self-healing is also really crucial within this role um, to be able to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, but one main thing that will always have to be on par with this would be understanding the intergenerational trauma that many people within your caseload have experienced, and as well as systemic injustices and the intersectionalities of each case. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, within that. But I'm, I'm, I'm a passionate advocate, both professionally and, and personally. But I've also had the privilege of being a volunteer for two amazing grassroots organizations in Toronto, um, which is where I've unlearned so much that I have been taught by educators um, within the institution of, of school, right? Or um, some of the history that I had grown up knowing about my country when I was younger, mm. I have unlearned it with these groups, um, one being LION, uh, which the acronym stands for Latinx, Afro-Latin America, Abiyala Education Network. Oh, um, sorry to... I just want to cut you for a second. Uh, this past yeah, yeah. weekend, I met. Um, Sylvia and uh, <laughs> What's that? Was with Sylvia and Hintina. Yes! <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure I saw a picture. <laughs> oh my gosh, the world keeps getting smaller, I swear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so she and, and um, one other Afro Latina. Um, both are the, the main coordinators of, of LAN, and they're both very, like, dynamic, powerful community educators and activists, really. Um, yeah, amazing. I mean, you, you've met her. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, a lot of what they do is really based within the school system, hmm. and really tearing that apart because the, the systems that we, we've we grown up in uh, when it comes to um, spaces for people who identify as being um, Latinx or from, from Latin America, the, the history that's being taught is specifically from Europe, from Spain. Mm. Um, so our history and, and where we come from and learning that is is a race somehow, right? Mm. Um, because a, the main component of, of our education for many people stems from school, right? And whatever is on the media, right? Yeah, and and they do a lot of work and uh, creating workshops and learning spaces for uh, youth to learn, but also lead uh, spaces of conversation surrounding our identity, our history, our spirituality, and um, all of the aspects of that. Very interesting. 
I'm gonna have yeah. to come out one <clears throat> one day to like their gatherings and just learn more about that. Yeah, very interesting. You'll learn so much, so much. Cool. Um, yeah, you can find them on Facebook or Instagram, cool. and they usually post up their events there. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah. check that out. And thanks for sharing that. And it, it again, it's just so cool how like the world is so small. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like they're they're amazing when it comes to to that, and um, it's a small world because I mean we all know Melissa too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, and so yeah, amazing. And then another one was Emu Head. Emu Head is a uh, um, another one who not so much within the school systems, but they create workshops and learning spaces. Um, to really learn about the intersectionalities that we encompass um, within Latin America. Yeah, so it's, it's more so education. Hmm. Um, so yeah. you're from El Salvador, uh-huh. and like that time when we were at the Veg Fest and you were kind of sharing uh-huh. um, the history of it, like I was so like engaged and just like, wow, like, how come I've never learned this before? Um, And I I was just wondering if you could share, like, a little bit about that, um, what you shared at the Veg Fest with me, like a history, like a brief history of El Salvador and, like, as it relates to colonization and Africans being brought there. Okay, well, um, for me, I really had to dig for this information, um... Just because a lot of indigenous and African history are almost completely erased um, in El Salvador and in many places in Latin America. It's not something that people teach you. Uh, It's not something that's really actively in books that you can go and and get until very recently. Um, But in... In El Salvador, just like in many other places in Latin America, um, Latin America as a whole has had the largest uh, slave trade in the world. Mm, Wow. Um, (laughs) Mind blown. What? (laughs) In the world, yeah. Wow. For me, I remember I was so shocked when I originally heard that and when I learned that because for me, it was always, the stories have always been um, revolving around the United States. Exactly. Um, Canada, yeah. right? Um, wow. But, yeah, the largest the largest number of, of Africans who were enslaved um, and, and forced to, to come to Latin America. So, in El Salvador, we also have a history of that. Um, about what is known, at least, um, 10,000, over 10,000 enslaved Africans were brought to El Salvador um, in a span of about 75 years. Um, The forced migration started around 1548. So it, it happened a while ago, but I guess it was a high demand arose during that period, and the slaves were used in the haciendas, which is the the farms mm. in in El Salvador. Um, 
so around that time, a few years later, many of the whom were forced to, to migrate to El Salvador attempted to revoke um, and to revolt, sorry, in early 1600s. Mm-hmm. Um, just for for their freedom, really, and and to be treated as equals and and to have that right. Um, but many were horrifically murdered. Um, yeah, murdered and, and all of the things that you can think of, and tortured and raped and. Um, so there's that history and and. and um, so as as we have always seen around the world, always the indigenous and those who are visually from the African diaspora mm-hmm. are are those who are constantly targeted um, and repressed. Mm-hmm. especially around that time in history. And um, so there was a moment between the 1600s and the 1900s where the um, African slaves and the indigenous people within El Salvador started to form relationships and um, procreate within that or within those relationships. Um, and it happened so often that I guess um, within 1933, um, General Hernandez Martinez uh, decided to create race laws that prohibited the African um, diasporic uh, people from either leaving or coming back in to the country. Um, the policy was specifically um, favored, and not favored, but geared towards uh, North Central Europeans, specifically um, those who were known at that time to be people who were essentially white passing or white, right? Like, um, and um, it happened so that essentially to to whiten the race Mm. um and this happened for a long period of time this policy was initiated in 1933 and it ended in 1986 1986 wow so basically they didn't want them they they just wanted them to reflect i guess their colonizers so like the whole idea of yeah. lightning? Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I it's back in, in those times and still because it's very much embedded within our systems and within the media and the way that we almost subconsciously, um, sometimes growing up even viewing ourselves and, and aspects of, of blackness, um, if you were, if you had black features or if you looked indigenous, these aspects um, were, were not 
seen as as a an aspect that was privileged, that was hmm. that was beautiful, that was celebrated. Um, it was something that people needed, especially when you talk about the entirety of, of, of a country. It was something that posed as a threat to to the people that were in power. Mm-hmm. Um, whiteness and the characteristics, um, the physical characteristics of that are, are things that are very much sought after um, because of, of what the colonizers have embedded within us and within um, the way that we have been taught since since the moment we have been colonized. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I think for for that reason, it's very, it's, it's not difficult, but it is, it's not a discussion that is widely had within El Salvador to talk about its African history, to talk about its, its, seemed a little bit more acceptable to talk about our indigenous history mm-hmm. rather than our African history. Mm. And do you think that, um, that stems from those laws that were um, established? That that stems from the law? Yeah, that law of... Like you mentioned, I forget the name of the person you mentioned that established those laws. Yeah. Is that where mm-hmm. that stems from? Or just like um, like anti-black attitudes. Well, anti-black is anti-black attitudes is, is everywhere, specifically yes, and in El Salvador and in Latin America. Um, but those policies, I think, help those um, that embedded illusion. I I feel to continue. Because they were already there. They were there from the moment that the colonizers came and told each person who was someone who could have been free or someone that was expendable and that could die and that anyone could do anything to you without, um, you know, repercussions. But these groups of people deserved land and these people were civilized and these people, you know... um, I think from the moment that Spain came into it came into Abiyala, but um, now known as, as El Salvador, I, I think those those um, notions of, of of whiteness and the privilege of that started, and I think that. Centuries later, in, in the 1900s, was when it, it only continued with this policy and the erasure of of the African diaspora within El Salvador. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Oh my gosh, very depressing. <laughs> I um, and like it worked because like up until a couple months ago, like when I whenever I thought of like countries such as like Mexico, El Salvador, um, 
those Spanish-speaking countries, like, even in, in the media, they're light people. Yeah. Like, I would have never thought that there were, like, dark, like, dark-skinned black African descents in those countries. Because it's never, you don't see yeah. them. Unless, yeah, like, unless you yeah, go there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, media is a, is a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Media is a powerful tool. And in the sense that if you're not doing your own research, if you're not going out there, or, or you don't have the spaces where others have done that research and they're re-educating or, or holding workshops to let you know about their research and what they've learned, mm-hmm. if you don't have that, for example, here in London, these spaces don't really exist here. Mm. Okay. Um, and so if I didn't, go to school in Toronto, live there for over 10 years, and, and, and found these spaces that, that just happened to come up because so many people that I knew were going there and, and then go, right? Um, and even not within Latin America, but if you're going to go to any other, you can, they're more accessible to you. Um, in Toronto than it is here, most definitely. And um, and a lot of the time, it's going to be within the media. Whatever the media says, that's it. Whatever you see in the shows, the representation that they have in terms of um, being Afro-Latina, right? Like, for example, Ashley Banks and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is actually Ashley Latina. <gasps> no way. What? Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of the time, if, if let's say, um, an Afro Latina wants to play a role, a lead role, they would say, okay, you're going to be a black woman. She's like, okay, well, why can't I be Afro Latina? Right? A lot of the times, I mean, right now you're seeing mm, some kind of representation, but not really. Um, <laughs> Um, so a lot of the times people who, who are Afro-Latina will play roles, um, play roles where they are black women or, or black men, Mm. right? So, so Ashley Banks is an example. She's from Panama. Where? Panama? Oh, okay. She's from Panama, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, like, I don't think I've, sorry, go ahead. I don't think I've ever seen um, a role in a movie or a show of a person that is Afro-Latina, like both, as just either Afro or Latina or Latino. Like, I don't, and, um, I don't watch a lot of television both recently, but, um, the only show that comes to mind and this is a recent one um where there is in fact an afro-latina and she identifies in the show as being afro-latina um is the l word right the l word the generation q that's that's the only show that i know of Hmm. but um yeah it's just not 
like an Afro-Indigenous woman, even, you know, mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, and, and because of that, I think people have these notions about themselves and about who we are. Because if you're only seeing, let's say you're a little girl, and you're only seeing um, white passing, essentially, um, Latinas on on television who are singers, who are um, actresses, right, who play in your telenovela even, <laughs> because the same thing happens there, um, you automatically see that you don't see yourself represented. Mm. You automatically get this notion of, oh, I want the straight hair. Mm-hmm. like this woman or this her skin is beautiful i only see the 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 people that look like me become or are slaves or criminals mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um and yeah i can that's, relate to that's that that's the narrative yeah i could totally relate to that especially the hair um in my second episode i talked about like growing up i've always wanted straight long hair because like I was a huge fan of Disney princess movies and like Ashley Mary Kate and Ashley and like all my favorite movies growing up the lead characters they were all white straight long hair and like yeah I and even my Barbies like I barely had black Barbies because um, they didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. And if I if I did have a black Barbie their hair would be straight <laughs> like it wouldn't be like real black hair and I I was just like when you were talking about um Latina singers I recently um was watching old videos of Selena like Mm -hmm. before she blew up and she was so dark and like had really curly puffy hair like she looked so different to like her recent photos to like when she first started I was just mm-hmm. like, wait a second, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she has a bit of indigenous in her. I mean, she's from Mexico, but um, there's a lot of tribes there, and um, traditionally, people who are from from Mexico, a lot of their descendants and maybe even recent family members are indigenous. So you'll see those features, mm-hmm. the the tan of it, the, the puffier hair. It's so curly, but you can tell she's kind of straightened out a little. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that type of look. And I think when you go into mainstream media, mainstream media, the way that even society, society period, um, has a standard of beauty that does not involve blackness, does not involve our indigenous history. It does not involve that. It mm-hmm. involves whiteness. Yeah. As the whiter you are in terms of the spectrum, the prettier you will look. So if you do, let's say, let's say black women or black um, or Afro-Latinas, they're still, if they identify with that in, in their role, as singers or things like that, they're lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone right now. There's people that right now is 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 a time where people are demanding representation. There are you are seeing, for example, another 
uh, singer Amara La, La Negra, which, um, or you can see it in Celia Cruz, right? Celia Cruz is an Afro-Latina from Cuba. Um, but, yeah, the conversations are only just recently being had. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in terms of, of, of loving our, our hair and not and understanding where that shame or or the, the want and the uh, idealism of having straighter hair comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, like it, it's, um, and even until most recently too, the, uh, the, the makeup that's being sold, um, it was difficult for anyone who had uh, melanin in their skin, like darker melanin to find makeup that matched their skin tone. Right. Um, so things, yeah, I mean, that, that does something to you subconsciously. Mm-hmm. For sure. Oh, it's just a huge spiral, like, oh, colonization, like, runs deep, like, it's so deep. It really does. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope and pray that we can get some, some representation in the media. Mm-hmm. I really do, because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's that hard for that, for that to happen, but I, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. The, um, the pushback that there is in having or hiring people in the in the background and also the actors and um, are not people who carry privilege within their skin and to get those opportunities. It's it's still it's still something that's difficult because in the end the systems that have been created um, all the systems that have been created have been geared mm-hmm. um, and and created by the colonizers to yeah. sit down. Exactly. Yeah. Shucks. <sighs> just got really depressing. Oh. But there's uh-huh. hope. I'm just saying it just got really depressing, but there's, there's hope. <laughs> People are resisting. People are learning, unlearning, so... Yeah, it will happen. There's a lot of, there's a lot more people that are making initiatives to unlearn and to um, create some sort of resistance. And when I say resistance, I mean um, creating a space where you can talk about your unlearning, to educate, to, um, yeah, like just to to form anything, or just talking to your coworker about it, or challenging that within and. In those spaces, if you feel safe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's happening a lot more now. Mm. So it's it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Good. The discussions are happening, um, and our our children will continue it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to conclude, I just first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for all this information you're sharing. Um, it's definitely a catalyst in my um, learning journey. Um, and I wanted to conclude with asking, so you briefly talked about the relationship between the indig- indigenous people of El Salvador and the 
um, Africans. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about their relationship today. Um, well, I mean, unfortunately, I think because of the, the, the narrative, um, I think outwardly, out, um, outwardly it seems like the indigenous and, and depending on, on where you go sometimes, um, their relationship together um, through food even sometimes is celebrated, but it's, it's really not. Um, it really isn't. Um, be, and, and the reason being um, because now you're seeing um, so many indigenous tribes stand up. They're, they are they are protecting their land. They are protecting um, what has been theirs for so long in terms of, of nature and, and the climate. But um, there's, there's, I think, I, I don't know if it's the policy, if it's just the way that things have been um, taught, sort of. It's not, that's not the word that I'm thinking, but... Um, Implemented? The way that things have been structured, I think just because they didn't want them together when they were um, creating relationships around the 16 and 1700s, um, that because of that notion of separating them, because together they were a force, you know, and separated, they're, they're not, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're not within their own, but together, together we are more powerful, mm. right? Um, separate, of course, there's, there is always power within who you are and and the tribes that both come from, but they were, they were separated, essentially. The, there was a lot of danger in being um, in relationships with uh, those who were enslaved from Africa and the indigenous tribes from Abeyala, um, and um, yeah, and, and, and I think this dialogue and, and the way of being, um, including the policies that were specifically created because this was happening, um, I think there's an, a, a subconscious separation that I don't know if anyone um, has really understood why that is mm-hmm. and I I mean I can't tell you that if that that's in fact why but judging from where history has started in terms of their partnership um, together and what has happened the events that have happened to essentially separate that partnership and why um, that that would be my guess to be honest um and there's, yeah, I, I really, I, I do believe that. Um, and I think now, really and truly, it's, it's, it's very much in the beginnings of it, I, I feel like, in terms of the, um, the mending of relationships within Latin America, and specifically those who have um, 
um, an Afro Afro uh, diaspora within um, this indigenous land, um, because yeah, there's just there's so much work just because indigenous people are being killed all over the world, but right now specifically um, in this conversation um, in Latin America, um, they're they're almost invisible because of the way that colonizers have have created these policies and have created these laws against them. And there's many who are living in Latin America that do not speak their language anymore, that do not have any connection to their customs, to their way of being, to elders. They, they do not have that connection. Um, but the indigenous people who are who are left that have been protecting this earth from, from day one, um, and you can see this right now in Ecuador, in Bolivia, in Uruguay, in Chile, and in Brazil right now. Specifically, there's more places, but um, the indigenous people left are standing up. And they're being killed for it wow. right now. Um, oh and there's always this, and there's no media coverage either. It's just yeah, like this the, is the first the, I'm hearing this. <clears throat> it's like, yeah, there's no media coverage. There's nothing because mm. media tells you a very particular story. Mm-hmm. And behind that story, there's an agenda from whoever is in power. Um, funding these media resources um, and um, in many of these spaces there have been media blackouts um, in terms of uh, the government taking away their intranet for them to even oh, what? Uh, you know for them to even have the, like, the, the opportunity to share their story right? no so, way um, oh, Wow. No, no, they will do it. And so, especially if you oh. are, um, if you are a threat, of course, <laughs> if you are a threat to their power, somehow, of course. Mm. But um, a lot, a lot more people are having the conversation in terms of who they are, and and more people are are identifying as being Afro Latino. And, and being proud of that, right? Mm-hmm. Being being proud of that, but there's still a lot of work to do. I I believe, and I and I think it's starting. Um, it it definitely feels that way. Um, and you yourself too, right? Because I remember um, our conversation at that Veg Fest in London. You were saying you now identify as Afro, and how before you were kind of like hesitant to. Yes, very much so. Mm. Um, yeah, I just would. I don't know for for the conversation with with my my father, for example. He would always say that we um, come from African descendants. We, you know, and and say that. But I mean, I think maybe that's when he was intoxicated. To be honest, um, <laughs> if you talk to him honestly, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You can get a lot out of him when he's, when he's drinking. But, um, yeah, but when you talk to him, he 
right now, um, he will deny everything. He he is is one to um, the same with my grandma. Um, but they forgot that my dad had curly hair. <laughs> Oh, wow. um, like I have pictures, like really, really coarse curly hair, but um, his mom has been cutting it so short because she doesn't want anyone to see um, how curly his hair is. And so, um, and the features that that really correspond to to being of African descendant. Um, like the melanin in his skin, right? Um, he he has avoided the sun for a really long. I have a picture of him, and I'm like, you look completely different <laughs> because he avoids the the sun. Wow. And um, this is common, mm-hmm. I find, back home. And and for those reasons, it was really hard for me to. To, even though I see my family, I know the history. Um, it was really difficult for me to um, identify as being Afro Latina, um, and now understanding and knowing that I'm Afro, like I'm Afro Indígena. My mom is Indigenous, but just like many others, they have completely forgot their customs and their languages, mm. um, and they only can guess what tribe they came from but they they know that they're descended from indigenous ancestors who have stopped practicing Mm -hmm. their ways of being because they were afraid of death um and and hid that for so long that yeah this is this is where that's at. So within the Latin community, it's um, you really do have to defend that, and you have to know why, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if I say I'm Afro-Indigena, okay, what makes you, what makes you Afro-Indigena, right? And if I let them know, they're like, yeah, 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 but we're all, we're all living in Latin America. This is, this is just who we are. But it's, it's really important to identify that. Because I'm 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 not a Latina who's who's white passing. I'm not. Right. To identify your who you are, I think it's it's a way for us to decolonize the way that we see oh, ourselves sure. um, and in our language. Yeah, that's just the definitely. It was I... it was a journey. Definitely. I, I, re- I relate to that last piece you just said of like knowing who we are and learning who we are. It's uh-huh. it's um, a process of decolonizing our minds and coming out of that system. Um, because myself, I want to learn more about who, like where, what part of Africa were the mm-hmm. black people that were brought to Jamaica from? Like that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to figure out because I want to know what language we spoke before English, like what yeah. our culture was. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I totally I know. relate to that. And so much of that to be raised. Pardon? 
Right, so much of that language, yeah, right, yeah. the language and the customs have been erased because those people were killed. Yep. Right, or those people were, um, unfortunately, like the the residential schools here, they were um, basically killed and tortured until they acted just like them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. and and we have a long history of that. Within the Caribbean, within Latin America, in different spaces in the world. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I think it's uh, a radical way of of self loving and and decolonizing the way we think and um, researching and and really taking the time to to research and seeing if those spaces exist, if anyone is talking about it, and getting involved that way. Um, because it does feel different. Um, to me, it does. It, um, you can research it, but if you can find a space where people are uh, teaching you about it, spaces where other people are also um, in the search for that knowledge, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, I don't know, um, it's powerful. It's a powerful tool. Liberating. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it is very much so. So yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of unlearning, and I think it starts with with searching for who you are and being or standing firm in that. Um, well said. Well said. Yeah, because there's so much history, mm-hmm. right? There's so much history in in Latin America and the Caribbean. So much. There's been so much colonization. There's been so much um, things that have happened. And, and the easiest way to sort of debunk certain things with certain people is they say, oh, no, the Spanish were never here. Or no, people that from Africa were never here. Or no, the <laughs> indigenous, uh, or if they say that. Um, the easiest way is to eat or to look at our food. Hmm. Astronomy is a powerful tool. There will always be, always be a trace of what has happened in our country through gastronomy, through our food. Amazing! Yeah. Oh man, I, there needs to be like a part two of this. <laughs> oh, I don't oh, know. You just like <laughs> opened my mind. Like the history of food. Interesting. Oh man. Oh man, food is powerful. <laughs> I mean, I love food. I love food. Um, but <laughs> food, yeah. food and the history of food is yeah. is a powerful um revelation. I mean, to to me it was mm. and understanding where each food comes from, the stem of it, how was it created? Um, wow. I don't know. I don't know. But for me, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I again, I just want to thank you so much for this knowledge that you've shared, and I'm just so excited to learn more uh, with like the little timbits you gave me, and run with it. Yeah, hopefully um, the information was clear. I don't know. <laughs> I I found it clear for sure. You found it um, clear, okay. And um, just real quick, because my battery's running low um if you yeah. could share any like resources or 
like websites, movies, documentaries, um, for people that are interested in learning more? Anything off the top of your head? Honestly, the top of my head where um, I think it's called Untold Stories. It's a documentary that you can find online. Um, I think it's Vimo. Vimo is a streaming. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Vimo? I know Vimo. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, you if you if you Google it, Untold Stories, um, and then um, Afro Latino. Right. If you Google that, you will be able to find this documentary. It's an amazing documentary that um, very much grassroots. So there are other parts to it that. So I'm just going to continue where Xenia left off with the resources because my laptop battery died. Um, And I'll also link these resources in the description um, info box of this podcast. So uh, Black and Indigenous is a book by Mark David Anderson, Frontiers of Citizenship, Black Autonomy, Afro-Latinos, The Untaught Story documentary, Dismantling the White Supremacist Term and Discourse of Hispanic by Andrea Vasquez Jimenez, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, and Borderlines and La N. So I will, once again, I will post these in the description box of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know your thoughts. Um, you could connect with me on Instagram. My Instagram account is at shay.reflex. Thank you for listening and take care.